All right. Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, the YouTube video. I'm your host, Steve Fredland. And as always, we are sponsored by Running Aces, Racetrack, and Casino. This is episode 116 and a couple of quick announcements as we get in. Uh, first one is kind of a big announcement. Uh, I'm, I'm partnering up with Chris Fox Wallace, who's a World Series of Poker bracelet winner. And we are going to be running uh, a, a what's called a Crazy Like a Fox, uh, How Pros Think About Tournament Poker. It's going to be a 10-week training session, uh, 90 minutes every Thursday night from March 21st to May 23rd. So it'll be ending right before the World Series of Poker. Uh, and he's just outlined some fantastic content. Uh, the 90-minute sessions will basically be 30 minutes or so of just pure content and then an hour of Q&A and discussion and kind of digging in deeper wherever uh, the participants want to take it. So we're really excited about this thing. Uh, it's going to be retailing for 300 bucks, but if you're part of the Rec Poker Nation, uh, you can use a code FOXRECPOKER, and you can get that for half price for 150 bucks. And all of the information is going to be available out on RecPokerTraining.com. Uh, so you can look out there. Uh, otherwise, feel free to shoot me a note. We'll give you all the information. But it's going to be a fantastic way to learn the game, especially as we go into the World Series of Poker season. And we'll be doing some Facebook and Twitter contests. So engage out there and maybe you'll uh, win, win that for free. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, also, a reminder, Monday nights, we do our free weekly chats at 8 o'clock Central Time. Uh, we're starting to really dig into hand ranging. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, registration uh, through recpokertraining.com. It's free, uh, but you do need to register and we're just going to have some great discussions. So join us out there. Uh, other than that, I think the only other thing is just a shout out to the Running Aces players of the week from this last week, Gary Wabi, Chu Chang, Larry Smith, and John Grawin. So way to go, guys, on your player of the week, uh, Lammers. Um, so with that, let me, uh, we've got some uh, rec players that are part of the panel tonight, Stacey Nelson, Derek Smith, Chad McVean, and Rob Washam. And uh, our rotating expert uh, is Matt Hamilton. And Matt is just, uh, he's a great guy. He's got a great knowledge of the game. Uh, I've always considered him, uh, since I've known him the last couple of years, as a, as a rising star in Minnesota poker. Uh, he's one of those guys that's super nice to you and then takes all your chips. Uh, he's, he's really, uh, he's been a friend of the podcast. Uh, if you've been following us, he's a trainer at our play and learn sessions. He's been part of the player panels. Uh, he's got $220,000 in lifetime earnings, according to the Hendon mob. Uh, and this December and January, he went back to back winning the weekly Sunday afternoon double stacks at running aces. He's got a 36 K score to his credit. That was, uh, the fall poker classic main event, I believe a couple of years ago. So with that, uh, please welcome Matt Hamilton. Matt, what's going on? Hey, it's uh, good to be uh, good to be back on the Rec Poker Podcast. I've enjoyed a couple couple times uh, contributing, so it's fun to be back. It's always good to have you. Know, I was trying. I know you're a humble guy, so you don't like all the big pompous, you know, <laughs> intro stuff. So I was trying to just pick out a few things for you. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Now, now I suppose uh, just real quick, I suppose the uh, the poker time's a little bit harder with the growing family, right? Yeah, and you know, I was a little bit nervous about uh, this particular podcast. Uh, the girls are uh, bedtime for them, so hopefully they don't uh, make any to make any interruptions. Oh, that's okay. We're we're a family friendly podcast, so I think <laughs> I think everybody that's that's listening in is going to understand what uh, what the world is like when you got the little ones. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, so Matt, so we asked you to kind of come on board and, and bring a, a hand or two that uh, you can walk us through. Uh, so if you're willing to share that, uh, that'd be great. And then, uh, as always, the panel is just going to interject questions here and there and try to pick your brain. 
Uh, you know, part of this is it's always interesting to see how people played hands, but really what we're trying to do is you know, try to understand those underlying principles. So, yeah. you know, as you and I have talked about many times, it's not about how do you play pocket fours under the gun. It's what are the mm -hmm. principles behind how do you play right. pocket fours under the gun? So right. yeah. uh, I'll just kind of turn it over and you can, you can lead us through there. Awesome. So uh, what I wanted to do, uh, what I wanted to present was some hand histories that are pretty relatable to the, um, the fields that we play against and as recreational players um, hopefully can, can apply to the typical buy-ins. So I have um, a couple hands from the three, I think it was $350, I think was the price point, uh, cheap and deep at Canterbury uh, that was played... Uh, Boy, it wasn't too long ago, maybe a month ago or so. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the two hands actually that were quite interesting, um, and brought up some interesting discussion amongst some friends of mine. Um, were they took place? I was actually I'm actually the hero in these examples, um, and they were uh, they took place right away on day two. So um, I got through day one. Um, Finishing the day with about well coming into day two with 30 big blinds and the very first hand of day two I'm under the gun one with um, ace king of diamonds and the blinds at this point are is 3,000 big blind um, And I have about 90,000 so 30 big blinds. So um, my standard opening size um, Pretty much regardless, I like to open to like 2.1, 2.2x big blind. So I opened um, to 6,300, which would be 2.1 big blinds um, under the gun one. And it folded to the cutoff who was, um, again, this is the very first hand of the day two. So hard to have, you know, unless I've played with this person before, hard to have any reads or any type of uh, perception of him as of yet. But he was the table chip lead. Uh, which is definitely a consideration. Um, and he seemed like kind of like a middle-aged, kind of like an aggressive-looking opponent. Um, hard to, you know, you don't want to assume too much when you sit down at a table. But, but you know, it, it is worth noting that when you do sit down, you know, at a day two or, or even going into a day two, I had looked up all the players' names. So, I, you know, try to get a little idea of who I think might, might be, uh, I might be battling against. Um, anyway, folded him in the cutoff. And he, he three bets me to 18,000, um, which is um, not that big of a three bet. Three bet to about um, six big blinds, um, which is almost 3x my, my open size. Um, and it folded back around to me. And so at this point, there is um, about 33, 34,000 in the middle. Um, so if you include my 2.1, plus his six big blinds, that, that's 8.1 big blinds, plus the blinds and annies, brings the total to about just over, just over 10 big blinds. Um, and so I started the hand with 30 big blinds, and I think it's an interesting decision coming. I mean, for me, this hand wasn't – I really want to get to the next hand because I feel like that, that was more intriguing. But this hand um, feels like a really clear example of a situation where – you just want to get all the chips in the middle pre-flop uh, when it comes back to you. Um, so a few reasons why that is, is you're out of position against an opponent who is the chip lead at the table, who you might perceive as being aggressive, 
And in those situations, um, you don't really want to come along and invest a good chunk of your stack and play. You know, you don't want to just call and and see a flop and have to decide what to do when you don't hit an ace or a king or a nut flush draw or something like that. Um, and you you put yourself in a tricky spot. So I think pretty clearly the best decision is just to just to four bet him and starting the hand with thirty big blinds. Um, it's a good question to consider. Is there, is there a sizing I can use other than all in, you know, I don't really want to just risk all my chips on the first hand of day two. That seems like a pretty silly proposition <laughs> to, to bust out of the hand and drive home after I just got here 20 minutes ago. Um, but there are certain situations in poker where you simply just have to go with it. You know, you're not always going to be presented with ace king suited under the gun one first hand of day twos with 30 big blinds and get three bet and have to face this decision that these decisions don't happen that often, honestly, and to this extent. Um, but when these, when these situations do arise, I, I firmly believe that you just have to kind of go with it, especially when you're against an opponent who you think is going to be putting the pressure on post flop, you're already out of position you know, if he if he comes along, if he has like jacks or queens or kings or aces and, you know, busts you and you go home, I think you can go home confident knowing you made the good decision. And I think the decision is, I think the only sizing you should be using uh, starting the, the hand with 30 big lines is just all in. Um, doesn't really make sense to me to, to four bet to like something like, you know, 14 or 15 big lines um, and leave yourself with. 14 or 15 and and you know going post flop um so this is one hand that i wanted to present just as like because i feel like a lot of players especially you know when you're going into day two and you have like your mindset on okay i gotta get through so just for context yeah. 750 players entered, entered the tournament about 120 made it to day two 75 were paid so we're not in the money yet and, you know, you always want to go into a day two with, with the hope of, of making money. And, you know, it sucks to, to bubble or close to bubble, you know, and, and drive home with nothing after, after having your eyes set on a day two. Um, but I just wanted to illustrate that there are, situ- there are certain situations where you just simply have to not be afraid to go with it, put all your chips on the line, you know. Uh, you have plenty of fold equity with 30 big blinds. You know, so if he's just kind of messing around or if he has, even if he has, has a hand like nines, tens, jacks, even queens sometimes, you know, you put a lot of pressure on those hands that want to, might want to three bet you. But then when you four bet all in for that amount of chips, you put a lot of pressure on and you, you'd like to see him fold those types of hands, honestly, when you're, when you're shoving with ace king. Um, and so I thought that was a really, you know, a pretty cool example to use. It's a pretty simple hand to use, but I think it illustrates a couple key points, um, including, you know, just just uh, just this idea that you know you should know that there are certain situations where you just got to put all your chips on the line. Stacks, you know, stack preservation is a good thing to keep in mind. You want to be able to make the money. You want to have ICM in mind, um, but certain situations just really implore you to go with them and i think this is one of those so so what do you see you know what would be the mistake that you see rec players making i don't think very many rec players would fold ace king suited in that spot but no. do you think that the bigger mistake would be the just call 
situation? Yeah. yeah, I think the biggest mistake probably in that situation is to just call. Um, I think, you know, maybe you might, you know, it's a very first hand with day two. You don't know this player. You're a little gun shy. You have a good hand, but you don't want to go home yet. So I got three bet. I'm going to just call, see a flop. I started the hand with 30 bigs. That's still yeah. a good amount of chips. You know, yeah. he's only three betting me to six big ones. If I have to get away from the hand, I still have, you know, 23, 24 yeah. lines mm-hmm. left. Um, it's not the worst thing in the world. And it isn't. But at the same time, this is a really good spot for you to accumulate a lot more chips potentially um, and and to, to just move on with the, to the next hand. So I think yeah. the biggest mistake uh, would would be to just call – um, or, well, it, it, you know, yeah, it seems like there's a few, I mean, there's a few other reasons too. I mean, part of it is, uh, you know, you want your, your under the gun early position raises to be respected too. So if you can get a fold, it yeah. sort of sets you up for the day too, as, Hey, don't be three betting me light here. Yeah. Um, there, there's that sort of piece. I think there's also, you know, out of position, it's so hard to extract value. If you yeah. do just call hit an ace or a King, if he's on Queens or Jacks or tens or whatever, it's just so hard to extract value out of position. So at least this way, if you hit, then you get all five cards to see if you hit. You know, yep. if, if you do get called, at least you have uh, max value from your big hand, right? Yeah, yeah. and, and ace-king is a hand that plays best when you see all five cards. So the only way you can guarantee that is, in this situation, is going all in pre-flop. If he calls, he calls. You're going to see all five cards. Hopefully you improve and win. Uh, or he has a hand like ace-queen suited and decided to, to go come along with you and, and yeah. hold. Um, Rob, did you have something? Well, I was just going to say, um, when you, when he three bets you and you look at the pot size at 33, eight, you've got at that moment in time, you've got a little over a two to one pot ratio, right? Or stack to pot ratio, which means you're going to end up getting it all in one way or another anyway. So you might as well do it right up front, right? At least at that point in time, you still have fold equity. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely, I think, uh, Having fold equity is a really key point there pre-flop. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say with your stack to pot ratio that you're going to always be getting it in uh, post-flop, if you, especially if you just call pre-flop. The, the, I mean, the pot does become pretty bloated, but you know, if, if, I, if I open to 6,300, if you three bets me at 18K, I call and the flop comes like 9-5 deuce rainbow, I checks and, and he bets big. I'm in a really tough spot. I, I don't know that I'll necessarily come along uh, and put my tournament life on the line with just ace high, you know? So I think to avoid some of those tough decisions post-flop um, and to just put the pressure back on him, because that's a key point too, you know? Uh, fold equity is a, is a big thing in poker and pressure is a big thing. Aggression is a huge thing. Um, and the the opportunities that you can you can take to put your opponent to the test instead of you being to the test um is a really key thing to look for um and this is a situation where you can do exactly that yeah hey chad did you have something there well i was just thinking it, it helps that you started off with a great hand but the fact that he had such a big stack lead over you that it, it tripled the amount of chips and maybe he by his uh three bet there to start could that perceive that he's got a wider range of cards as he's just splashing around trying to steal it. And therefore, by you putting him to the test by just jamming, like you find out, yes, no, he doesn't have it because if he's going to start doing that, he probably has a solid hand, maybe 25% of the time. If he's got that much of a chip lead over you, 
in, yeah. in trying to steal the pot. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, it's definitely worth noting that he is the chip leader at the table. Um, it's hard to really read into what his tendencies are since this is a first hand of day two, unless you have history with him. But um, just knowing that he is the chip lead um, and just knowing that we're approaching the bubble if he's a competent opponent, he's going to have a decent three betting range in his position. The other thing worth noting is he's in the cutoff in this example. So you should be opening up his three betting range a little bit versus if he was sitting right next to you under the gun too, he's going to have a much uh, tighter three or he should have a much tighter three betting range when he's right next to you. And he's, um, he's not closer to the button and has a better position. So, yeah, I mean, I think a couple of key things with that is, um, in general, the, the bigger your chip stack uh, or the bigger your opponent's chip stack is and the better position he's in, the wider you should allow him to have a three betting range. Um, the, the smaller his chip stack and the worse position he's in, you should kind of confine his range a little bit more. How about you, Derek? Yeah, I just said two quick, I think, quick questions on sizing. One, just a general question. Matt, you'd said 2.1 to 2.2 is the first question. Is that irregardless of whether the annies have kicked in? And then the second question was just his three-bet size. Is there a size tell to you, like, had he gone to something more like 21 to 22, 23 in that sort of range? At that point, do you start to wonder if it's more of a value three bet from him than maybe just kind of splashing around and using position and the you know the chip advantage over you? Uh, yeah, I think um, that's a great question. First, I would say um, generally pre-annies versus post-annies. Pre-annies, I like to um, use like opening up to uh, three big blends. It's probably my general. Sometimes even more. It really depends on the table. So some tables have a lot of limpers, so my opens pre annies end up being like five, six, seven big blinds. Um, but post annies, um, if I have a you know if I have a reasonable chip stack, I, I like to open to open small two point one to two point three typically. Um, and in regards to um, your question about his three bet sizing, I I didn't read in too much to it. You know, it seemed like a pretty pretty standard or pretty normal like three bet size that I would see. Um, and given that I this is the first hand and the first time I've seen him three bet, I'm not gonna read too much into what his sizing might mean. Okay. I think um, I think it can vary for opponent. I think good opponents use a pretty standard three bet sizing regardless of their holding. Um, but I think some players, you know, there's there's room to exploit players that do vary their three bet size. Like some players will like, you know, they'll look down at two aces and see a raise in front of them, and they'll just like min click you or something because right. they want ten to ten five right. Um, and uh, you know, and those those the smaller three bet sizing sometimes can make you know give me more alarm. Okay. And, you know, sometimes really large three bets just kind of. Uh, seem really transparent uh, to me like it's like ace king and he's just looking to win the pot now and not play post swap um so but that's a, that depends on the opponent i mean i think uh on its face i wouldn't say that this smaller or larger three bet sizing means a certain thing but i do think some opponents you can you can glean that information from and and make notes on and and you know exploit their tendencies if they do vary their sizings 
Okay. And at a minimum too, I suppose you're sort of establishing a baseline for his sizing. I mean, you've, you've got one now in the books where you opened an E3 bet. So yeah, for sure. Stacy. Yeah, Matt, I was just wondering about the other factors you said in these, this situation, the, uh, the all in would be uh, the appropriate, <clears throat> the appropriate move. What, what do you think, what factors would change if to make it a call? Of all the things, stack sizes, places in the tournament, you've kind of touched on a couple of them, um, maybe position in the aggressive player or that type of thing. Any, any others come to your mind? That Well, um, yeah, I mean, I think um, just on its face, this hand is a pretty clear example of a spot you just want to get it in. And um, probably it's going to take a lot to change my, to change your mind on that. Um, one, you know, the considerations that could lead you into making a different decision would be if you have like, let's say for example, you know, this guy, like you have a long history with this guy and he never three bets light and he knows you and he knows you're a good player or whatever. And you just know he's not messing around. Like sometimes you have those really good inclinations um, and that might be a spot where you can, you can, uh, you can deviate from this strategy and just call and try to improve. Um, and then also like if he's, if he's a guy like sitting right next to you and, and you just got like a similar feeling of like, he just has a super, super tight range here. He's never folding. If I shove, he has like Queens plus or whatever, you know, um, you, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't absolutely hate the decision to just call, um, especially as King suited. Um, and, you know, I think you could, I think you could get away with arguing to deviate from that. I think even, even with all that said, you know, 30 big blinds, it's, it's certainly not a mistake to just get it in. But I think depend, you know, your, your specific opponent, um, and if he's a shorter stack too, like if he started the hand with like, um, you know, if, if you think he's, he's looking to go into day two and make the money along with you and he's got some kind of medium stack, that could be a good indication that when he three bets, he's, he's probably not doing it uh, light and he's probably not messing around, um, especially compared to a guy who, who comes in as the table chip lead and, and someone you think might splash around a little bit more. How close to the bubble before you'd tighten up instead of coming over the top of him? Um, I think with this specific example, I don't think it would matter to me. I think I think if we were on the um, stone bubble, it's still a spot I'm gonna be I'm gonna be just shoving. Um, and I think it, it's a good question, but I think with this good of a hand, especially like as you get closer to the bubble, um, that should open up the table chip leaders three betting range even more even more so that should give you more incentive to just be like okay i'm gonna go with this you know it sucks to like really put yourself to the test and put yourself in that spot you know if you keep you know fold and just keep folding you're going to be able to make it in the money but you know you're just sacrificing so much equity and so much potential to to run really deep in this thing if you if you don't take that spot even even on the stone bubble is your chip stack change if you're the largest chip stack by a by a margin and he's like number two at the table does uh are you asking like would i does it does it change your your decision if you're the largest chip stack and he's number two and he's doing this and he's three betting you 
Um, you'll shove on them on, on the end of the number two stick stack. Well, I think it depends on on what stack sizes we're at. Um, okay. So you know, if 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 he's sitting on, if we're if we're both really deep stack, then my four bet size is not going to be all in. Uh, it's probably still going to be a four bet, but um, you know, if I'm sitting on ninety big blinds and he's got eighty big blinds. And he three bets me. I'm not. I'm not going all in. I'm. I'm going to choose a four bet sizing that can put some pressure on him, um, but but also is is going to end up taking his post flop if he decides to come along. Okay, that's helpful. All right, you want to go into hand number two, Matt? Yeah. Um, right. So this is this is really the reason I kind of wanted to get into this is because it was the very next hand that I played um, and it was against the very same opponent, uh, <laughs> which made it a little intriguing. And as it happens, uh, I didn't have the exact hand, but I had an ace-king offsuit in this hand. Um, <laughs> tough, so, tough game, huh, Matt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and I almost, you know, I almost giggled a little bit when I, <laughs> when I picked up ace-king again. So um, I'm under the gun this time because I was under the gun one last hand. Uh, and I opened up again to 6,300, so same sizing. So now um, you got about 35 bigs or so, somewhere there, 36 bigs? Uh, 30, 39, because I 30. picked up six big blinds right. from his three bet and blinds in any. So yeah. started the hand with about 39 bigs. Um, yeah, still same tournament, same same 120 remains, 75 paid. Um, opening up with ace king, um, ace of diamonds, king of clubs to 6,300. Folds to our friend who is now in the hijack, and he's got about 84 big blinds. Uh, he had about 90 big blinds to start the last hand. Um, so, so he ended up, uh, just to complete the hand from before, I, I, I shoved on him and he folded. So we picked up his three bet and we picked up the blinds and annies, um, which brings us to this next hand. And um, I open it up, folds to him. And he, uh, just to make this more comical, three bets me again to the exact same size <laughs> of 18,000. Um, and it again folds back to me. Um, and my, I got a little stuck because I was just so humored by the situation, the fact that this is happening. I have the same hand, relatively speaking. He does the same thing, you know, folds back. And, you know, it's just like deja vu the very next hand, which happens very rarely in poker. Um, and so anyway, what I decided to do and what I think are correct are two different things with this hand. Um, so what I decided to do in this situation was call. And so um, so he threw, threw that me to 18,000. I decided to call with ace-king offsuit. Um, and in my mind at the time, um, the reasons I decided to call included the fact that I had 39 big blinds, which is a pretty good stack size, um, and didn't necessarily want to risk all my chips. And um, I had just four bet shoved on this guy, so he might, you know, he might be three betting me a little bit tighter because he knows I'm capable of shoving on him, so that might tighten up his three bet range. And he's probably not just going to keep messing around with me, uh, given that we just played a hand where I four bet shoved on him. So those are a couple of considerations I had in mind. Does it? Um, I started to interrupt you. Does does the position? I know generally earlier position things tighten up a little bit. So did that make a big difference in this case? It's only one hand later, but now you're under the gun. He's hijacked instead of cut off. Is that 
Is that sort of going through your mind that you know everything's a little bit tighter on both sides as well? Yes, yes. I think I think that's also a consideration um, that to keep in mind is that since I'm in in worse position under the gun, it should be my tightest range, and him being in the hijack, um, kind of like a middle middle position, um, should tighten up his three bending range as well. Um, so all those considerations kind of kind of lean me towards just calling, and it's almost like a. It's, it's, I almost get the sense that I'm kind of trapping by just Yeah, you're underrepresenting. Well. Yeah, for sure. Um, so anyway, I decided to call. And uh, so that, that brings the pot to about 45,000. Um, and flop comes 10-5 deuce, rainbow. Or, excuse me, not rainbow. 10-5 deuce, 10 of diamonds, 5 of diamonds, 2 of hearts. Um, I have the ace of diamonds in my hand, which is helpful. Um, but obviously, this is not a great flop uh, not one that we're really looking for anyway i check he bets uh 13.5 into into 45.5 so roughly about a third of the pot a little little under a third and um with my stack depth and the fact that i have backdoor not flush draw as well as two over this board i think it's a pretty clear spot where we check call one street um, so I decided to check call, brings the pot to 72,000, turn was the seven of clubs. I checked, he bet 32,000. And at this point, um, I think it's a spot where we just have to fold, move on with our day. Um, and at the end of those two hands, we ended up just like basically breaking even from those two situations. Um, but what I looking back on, I thought about this hand a lot and had some discussions with some friends and, and I really, my, I, we didn't completely agree with each other, but my personal opinion, if I had this hand back, this is a spot where I would again, four bet shove pre-flop. I would just, I, it would just be the same. It would just comically be the same exact scenario as hand number one. Um, the, the major difference being I have, you know, I start the hand with 39 big blinds, so it's a little bit more significant of a four bet jam, but I still think that it's the correct play, even though the considerations in mind that he should have a tighter range because I just four bet shoved on him, he's in a worse position. Um, and, and my opening range should be slightly tighter because I'm under the gun. Even with all those things in mind, I, I still feel like four bet shoving is is the correct play, um, and I, and I think for um, uh, one big reason to me is that like in these huge field small ish buy in tournaments, they're they're pretty top heavy and it's really valuable to um, approach like the money bubble or deep into the money with a big stack because you can really leverage that to your advantage. Um, so to put yourself in a, in a spot where you're still putting pressure on your opponent, you have tons of fold equity, even more than the last hand. Um, and if you get called, Ace-King plays well over five cards. You hope to get lucky. You know, if he has aces or kings, tough luck. But that's significantly less likely being that you have ace-king. Um, 
So I think it's a spot where like I kind of froze up in the moment because of the the whole dynamic of what just happened. I think if the first hand never happened and I have 30 big blinds going into this hand, I'm 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 just getting my chips in, no questions asked, similar to how I approached that first hand. But since the first hand just happened and it kind of like was fresh in my mind and this was just so interesting of a of a, of a dynamic, it kind of like made me pull back on the on the reins a little bit and slow down and just take it post flop but i really think because i you know he he was still the chip lead even after that first hand and you know very capable of of barreling flops and turns and putting pressure on on my hands when i when i don't connect um i think it you know i think it's uh i think it's a little better to call like uh you know Ace King suited here is a little bit better than Ace King offsuit in my mind to call um, because you have more playability post flop with with a suited hand. Um, you know you're you're more incentivized to to see to keep seeing turns and rivers, and you have more a little bit more like re, uh, room to check raise and stuff like that with with flush draw potentials. But I think with uh, just Ace King offsuit, uh, a hand that really plays poorly if you don't connect on the flop and gets put, you know, you get put a lot of pressure on. You don't have a lot of room to, to work in like check raise bluffs with, with that particular hand. Um, I think it's a spot where we just kind of like shrug our shoulders and be like, okay, I guess we're doing this. <laughs> here we go again. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Buckle yeah. up and, and just hope for the best. And in my mind is it's another one of those spots where I think it's a trickier spot given everything that just happened. And given we have a larger chip stack, um, 40 big lines is not a fun amount of chips to just no. stuff all, all in the middle of preflop. Um, but I, but I honestly think it's the correct play in this situation. Rob, what do you have for us? Well, a couple things. First question, um, the players behind him, the players in the cutoff, the button, small blind, big blind, what kind of chip stacks do they have? What kind of players were they? Were they just rec players? He figured he could get through them easy enough. And then the second thing is he sees a young kid like you coming into the first two hands yeah. and right away you bet, you know, and he could be just thinking that you're just messing around right now. And that could be, could make his range a little wider than it normally would be. So those are the two, you know, things I was thinking about. Yeah, for sure. Um, I do feel like, so that's, you know, that's one of the big reasons that like your, your three betting range should get tighter. The worst position you are is because of the number of opponents behind. Um, and in this particular case, like he was the chip lead. I was, I was, I came into day two as like a little below average shift stack. I think everyone else at my table was probably somewhere within the vicinity of like, 20 to 40 big blends so a lot of like medium to smallish stacks and he had i think there was another big stack uh to my right but not behind him um so yeah i i think like you make a really good point about like how he perceives me like oh yeah i just like i'm this i'm this crazy aggressive kid who just comes in all guns a blazing just four bed shoved on me um and you know maybe that I'm not going to put too much weight in that because it's only the second hand of the day. And I really don't know how he perceives me, but that's a good point. You know, 
um, you you kind of want to have have a really good idea of what you think or how you think your opponent perceives you because you can structure their range you can that can help structure you structure their range for you um, so yeah I mean I think he's probably not too worried about stacks behind because of their stack sizes like it's one of those spots where when he decides to three bet um, it's gonna you know I don't think anyone behind him is gonna look to mess around. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of these types of tournaments and a lot of these types of situations. Like, unless you have, like, um, you know, really good opponents with really big stacks behind you, uh, behind the three-better, I don't think that that's going to play huge factors into the three-better's decision on whether or not to three-bet you. Because usually, like, when someone decides to three-bet, it's like, they're kind of laying down the hammer and everyone else behind them is like, okay, let me get out of the way. Like, look, I'm going to let these guys tussle around, especially when you're approaching like the money bubble or something like that. Um, but one thing that might change is like I said, if there's, there's a huge stack behind him who, who's a, you know, aggressive guy and, and knows how to leverage his stack that should tighten up uh, this guy's three betting range slightly. Mm-hmm. Chad. Yeah, I was wondering when the with the flop, like it, you completely missed it. But with his range on the on the three bet, he probably completely missed it as well. Um, and the way it rolled out, even though you did miss it, you would have backdoor flush and straight draws. Would it make any? Did it cross your mind at all to um, re-raise him on on his bet on the flop, like the check raise there? Um, I think you know that's a it's it's an interesting question. I think it would be um a little tough um, to know what i'm representing if i decide to check raise the flop um and i also think like when he three bets me um yeah there's a decent amount of hands that he's three betting with that that have missed this flop uh but there's still there's still a lot of hands that he's comfortable continuing with um and he's comfortable getting the chips and you know he has all the higher pairs, you know, jacks, queens, kings, aces, tens even, the flop top set. Um, he might have ace, ten suited in this spot. Um, so, and the reason, another reason for, for just calling, for check calling is like, okay, um, he could also perceive me as having tens and jacks and potentially even queens here sometimes, nines, eights. Um, hands that that are check calling that then if he can if he missed the flop and he still missed the turn um, he might shut down some of those hands that also missed and um, you know if flop goes check bet call turn goes check check um, I'm I'm a little bit more confident in my ace king high at this point um, and we can navigate the river so I think for me um, Deciding to check raise the flop uh, is, is pretty interesting. I think what I'm saying at that point, I guess, is that I have like jacks or queens, um, which to me, would I just four bet those pre-flop if I'm going to be doing this on the flop? So he might like, he, you know, he might look at that and, and be a little confused. And I don't quite know what I'm representing by check raising the flop. Because um, I think if I had, you know, certainly if I had queens plus, I'm just getting it in pre-flop. Um, maybe specifically if I had jacks. Uh, but even jacks in this spot, um, 
probably as played if I decided to just call his three bet pre. Um, I'm probably just check calling this flop as well. Um, some people play that a little bit differently, but you know, if I if I think he has queens, kings, and aces in his range a good amount of the time here, um, I'm still not loving jacks on this flop. Um, and if I have tens and flop top set, I'm certainly check calling because I'm looking to um, you know trap with this strong of a hand and, and look to check raise later streets. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's good to consider a check raise on this flop. Uh, certainly, if it was like a a monotone flop of like t- say if it's ten five deuce all diamonds and I'm sitting here with the ace of diamonds, I think it's a great spot to check raise. Um, and uh, hold on now, hold on. Let's let's back up the train a little bit there. All right. Uh, okay, so you have a backdoor flush draw. You're yep. saying not not a great spot to check raise. You, yeah. you you don't have the backdoor flusher on. Now you're saying that is a better spot to check raise. Well, if I had, if I, the, so what I'm saying is if I had the ace of diamonds and the flop was uh, all diamond flop. Oh, all diamonds. Okay. I, yeah. I missed, I thought you were saying rainbow. Okay. No. I misunderstood that. Okay. That makes more sense. Okay. I thought maybe it was one of those situations where, well, I have less equity, so I don't mind losing, you know, <laughs> I don't mind getting, you know, raised off of that hand or something. Okay. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. Any other questions, uh, Derek? I, I did have two quick ones again, I think. Um, one, any is there any four-bet pre, knowing that, you know, after you're open for two bigs, you're at 37. I think he three-bet to six, so you're ripping 37 bigs in. Is there room for a, a smallish four-bet there, knowing his three-bet was not huge? And then any value in that at this point we kind of read into that we potentially are still winning after the flop or we're still ahead? a donk bet there maybe and just kind of see how he reacts to something like that control the size of the pot and just take the lead hmm. um so i think uh i'll answer your second question first um my personal strategy really um especially after i'm three bet in in a three bet pot i i don't donk lead any of my hands in the spot okay. um some players do it's it's a little weird in my mind to have a good leading strategy on on in three bet pots, so I just avoid it altogether. And I think most you know uh, you know seasoned really good players have a similar strategy to me in that sense. Like um, I don't really like. I guess if you have a hand like I think the hands that I see players do this on if they have, even if they have, like, if they have jacks here, they decide to lead the flop, um, which, um, in my mind, like the reason I, I avoid this strategy altogether is because if I'm the three better, um, oftentimes it's pretty, it, it's the, the leading strategy is pretty transparent to me. It's pretty easy to pick and narrow, uh, my opponent's range if he's just leading into me after calling my three bet. Um, whereas checking, you're still, you know, um, obviously completely disguising your hand. And so I just avoid that strategy altogether. Um, and as, as per your other question about, is there a potential four bet size that's not all in? I think that's a fantastic question and it's a really good question to consider. Um, in my mind, with this particular hand, um, it makes the most sense just to get all the chips in. 
if if uh, you know if if I decide to to four bet to like, and if I decide to four bet, what's a good four bet side? Like, if we're incredibly deep stacked here, let's say we're both hundred big big blinds plus, and I decide to four bet, I'm not going to four bet shove. What's a good four bet size? Um, I think you know, even then it gets pretty dicey. Like, if the three bet is to eighteen thousand, uh, a, a reasonable four bet size um is, is going to be like yeah yeah anywhere between like um, 16 bigs maybe you know like 48 to like 64 66,000 um which which gets like you're you're basically advertising that you're you're getting the chips in regardless so if you four bet to to you know you start the hand with with 40 bigs which is 120k if you um, decide to four bet to, let's say, let's use kind of like a small three bet sizing even and use like 42,000, you know, you've invested almost a third of your chips in to a four bet pre-flop. What's your strategy going to be post-flop? Um, and so in my mind, a hand like Ace-King Offsuit, you want to put as much pressure on as possible. Um, because you really don't want to see him call your four bet and have the 10, five deuce flop. And what am I doing now? Yeah. You know, I've invested a third of my chips in. do I just rip the flop and hope he folds, uh, you know, his pairs or whatever. I don't know. Like if he has eights or nines or jacks here, um, and I four bet and he calls pre and I, and I make this play on the flop, he can call those hands. Whereas if I four bet shove, against eights nines and jacks pre-flop it puts a lot of pressure on him yeah. and he's you know i think he's folding those out a decent amount a decent amount of the time um so i think as scary as it sounds to to four bet all of those all of those big blinds in um i think the sizing to use is just all in because i think you're investing you know just too much of your chips um to use the sizing other than that i think the only like I think a, a deviation to that would be like um, if you think your opponent like um, is maybe is overfolding to like if he folds too much to um, additional pressure um, or like if you want to string him along like with if you have two aces here. Like I think there's certain things that you can consider varying that strategy. Like so let's say like um you have you have two aces and you think shoving is going to get him to fold almost everything um i think you can you can four bet to a size uh that that get incentivizes him to come along and then you're just shoving flops or you know or looking to get your chips in post flop in in this in a manner that makes the most sense to you um i think that's a deviation you can use the problem with that is i think when you decide to four bet small like that, your opponent is gonna is gonna think you have aces or something super mm -hmm. strong. It looks fishy. Um, so like, you know, which is like in my mind, kind of kind of uh, if I was gonna use like two different four bet sizings in this particular example, I might use a hand like aces as well as a hand like ace five suited or something like that um, to balance out. To, to make me not just have aces, you know, give me another hand in there that I can four bet with as a bluff um, to, to represent aces. 
um, and and block him having you know aces and ace king and stuff like that. Um, but I think it's it's a little tricky to to have that strategy. Um, and I think the the simpler and probably uh, best way is just to with with a stack slide like that, just four bet all in against against the guy that that still has the table chip lead against you. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. All right, well, we're almost out of time, Matt. I, I had one question on that really quick. Just sort of thinking about the dynamic of the back-to-back hands yeah. in those situations. I mean, if you four-bet shove with Ace-King there, does it go through your mind or should it be going through your mind that he might call me wider than he would have otherwise if the prior hand hadn't happened? Like, if he three-bet me with Ace-Queen or Ace-Jack or Ace-Ten suited, you know, maybe he's just he's going to call because he's now seen this back-to-back and I might get more value that way or is, is that part of the consideration at all? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it is part of the consideration. However, like, um, the other considerations are counter, like countering that in that, like you're in a, you're in a worse position. He's in a worse position. Um, you have a bigger, you have a bigger chip stack. So like, there's other factors that are, that are kind of like, um, need to be weighted a little more. Yeah. Different notions. So I think it's like, while at the same time, like, you know, and it all kind of maybe comes back to like, how he's perceiving me, which is all really tough to say, given it's the right. second hand of the day too, you know, you're just kind of like just feeling each other out and like getting to like, which is, you know, makes this whole like thing just so comical to me. The fir- very first two hands of the day too. Right. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, the exact same bet sizing, um, same two people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, which was really, you know, it's just humorous to me, but like, I think the, the biggest points uh, or the biggest point coming out of both of these hands is like, um, you got to pick situations where you're, you're going to be okay getting all your chips in the middle, uh, playing for a big, big amount of chips, not being afraid to, to put the pedal to the metal, not being afraid to, to not make the money um, if you're presented a situation that might, that might reap you a big chip stack and the ability to run really deep in a big field. Well, I think those are some some pretty good uh, pretty good final words. Unless you have anything else, Matt, we got to wrap up. Anything else you want to share at the end here? No, I think this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, thanks to you. Thanks to uh, Derek and Stacy and Chad and Rob for being here. Thanks to Running Aces for our, being our sponsor, as always. Make sure you go to recpokertraining.com. Check out all the information out there. Sign up for the newsletter, folks. Uh, if you're not on that, sign up. That's how you're going to get the discount codes for the, the Fox, uh, Crazy Like a Fox program and everything else that we have going on. So go check that out. Uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. So until next week, good luck on the felt. <laughs> <laughs>